We are still go with Apollo 11. You're listening to Apollo 11 Legacies. The following podcast captures an Apollo 11 legacy panel discussion recorded in Huntsville, Alabama, as part of the Apollo 11 50th anniversary celebration. The eagle has landed. The panels feature people with a personal connection to the Apollo project. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced through a partnership with Intuitive Technology and Research Corporation and WHNT News 19. Three, two, one. We had so much to do. We were so busy. We really didn't think about anything except just that goal of going to the moon. That's Sandy Coleman. She met Warner Von Braun as an 11-year-old Girl Scout. She would eventually become an engineer and begin working for NASA during the Apollo years. She's just one of the women of Marshall Space Flight Center, one of the women who took part in a panel discussion at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Before we hear what these women have to say about their work, here's what they say about themselves. I'm Teresa Van Hooser, and I started, well, I'm originally from Johnson City, Tennessee, up in the northeast corner of Tennessee. I graduated from Tennessee Tech in 1980, and I graduated with an industrial engineering degree. Uh, immediately after graduation, I came to work uh, for NASA here at the Marshall Space Flight Center, and my career spanned 35 years, so I retired from Marshall uh, about four years ago. During that time, I uh, started my career in engineering and then I moved to the project office and spent most of my time uh, in the project management arena. I got my uh, master's degree from University of Alabama Huntsville and I um, did worked space lab programs, I worked International Space Station and the ARIES programs were the primary programs that I worked. And when I retired, I retired as the Deputy Center Director uh, for the Marshall Space Flight Center. So I'll pass it on. Sandy, I'll let you go next. Okay, I'm Sandy Coleman, and my NASA career really started when I was an 11-year-old Girl Scout. I, uh, my dad worked at Redstone Arsenal, and he took my Girl Scout troop out to meet Dr. Werner Von Braun. And this man just mesmerized me. It was amazing uh, how he energized me to go to work in the space program. So when I graduated from high school, I managed to get a GS3 secretarial position at NASA Marshall. And I got, I was in the accelerated math class, so my uh, counselor said, well, you should be in, go into accounting. Now this is 19, you know, early, the late 60s early, mid to late 60s, so I got an accounting degree, and when I uh, went through the ranks at NASA to a GS-12, I realized that I really needed an engineering degree, so I had gotten my accounting degree from UAH. I did two years of prerequisites at UAH and got accepted into the master's program, industrial engineering program, and then uh, received a sabbatical from Marshall to get my um, engineering degree, the master's degree in, in industrial engineering in Tuscaloosa. I was the first woman to be selected for full-time graduate study at Marshall at NASA, Marshall, uh, which was, was, was a big deal at, at that time. Uh, I w 
I worked um, initially in the Saturn program, so I was a part of the team, even though I was a secretary at the time. I was a, t a part of that team in 1969 that landed on the moon. Such a thrilling day, and, and shortly after that, I was one of 40 that was uh, transferred to the space shuttle task team. So I was part of the, of the original space shuttle task team for the selection of, of the prime contractors there. I worked in three of the four uh, shuttle project offices through the years, and uh, my last job was the external tank project manager after the Columbia accident. I also was the first chief operating officer at the National Space Science and Technology Center. So amazing career, amazing challenges. Uh, after I retired from NASA, I went to work for ATK, that then was orbital ATK, and, and then Northrop Grumman. I just retired in December, so after 40 years at NASA and then 12 years in industry, I'm uh, traveling. <laughs> Hi, my name is Lisa McCollum, and I've got to say I'm just tickled to be here on this panel with uh, these accomplished ladies, so thank you for having me. Um, I have been at NASA now for about seven years, um, so I'm fairly new, I think, uh, still learning a lot every day. Uh, I graduated from the University of Alabama in Huntsville in 2010 with an aerospace mechanical engineering degree, and um, during that time I did some co-oping at the Navistar engine plant that used to be here in town, if any of you locals remember that. Uh, so I kind of started off thinking I was going to go into cars, um, but then 2008, downturn happened and uh, some things changed and after I graduated I worked for a year as a contractor for a company called Cord Technologies as uh, as a contractor at the Missile Defense Agency doing future concepts stuff and got the opportunity to come over here for NASA been doing solid propulsion with some adventures into other areas ever since and been having a great time. I'm Mary Beth Coble. Um, I started my career at NASA in 1986 after graduating uh, from the University of Iowa in um, mechanical engineering. And uh, I uh, graduated in, uh, from Iowa and moved to Alabama. I had never been to the state before, so <laughs> it was a new adventure for me. Um, and I started my career in turbo machinery um, in the propulsion department. Um, and I've been uh, at NASA 33 years. And I still work in the propulsion department, only now I manage the department. Um, and so I've done uh, various jobs uh, in propulsion. I've moved around uh, to several different jobs, but I've stayed in the same uh, organization in engineering uh, my whole career, uh, minus one year doing a procurement <laughs> in the basement, which was an adventure. But um, anyway, uh, and I've loved, uh, I, I, when I moved here from Iowa, I thought I would, um, I would go back to the Midwest and be closer to my family someday, uh, but I loved my job so much. Uh, I've been here 33 years, and, um, and I, uh, I can't imagine a better career. Hi, my name is Benny Jacks, and I went to work for NASA in 1966, so I'm kind of older than all these other ladies up here on the stage, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, it was my honor to uh, speak to you from the administrative side of the house. Uh, I graduated school in 1966, and back in those days, we didn't, it wasn't required to have a, 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 a degree to go to work for uh, NASA or the Army. So they gave us a testing at our school, and if we passed it, then we automatically could choose a job at NASA or the Army. And so I happened to have chose NASA, went to work as a GS-2 instead of a GS-3. <laughs> um, 
So back in those days, GS2 was, pay, was make, we were making a lot of money. And I worked, I was a, a travel and documents examiner when I first went to work in the administrative office. Uh, Dr. Heinberg and Tessman were our, was my first boss. And Dr. Von Braun was the center director. So I'm just thrilled to be a part of uh, NASA. I worked there for 45 years. I retired in 2011. I held a variety of jobs uh, in the administrative side of the house, starting out as, as a travel and documents examiner. Then I became an administrative assistant. Uh, following that, I became a secretary. And then I became the uh, uh, traveling, I became a patent and documents examiner in the chief counsel's office. And after that position, that's when they uh, originated the professional intern program, and so I applied and got accepted as a security specialist in the Center Operations Directorate. And after that, then I was uh, selected by uh, Jack Lee, who was the Center Director at the time, to become NASA's Real Property and Spatialization Officer. I kept up with all the buildings, places, and people uh, at five installations, which included Marshall, Michoud, Slidell, Santa Susana, and Yellow Creek. Uh, after that, I became a uh, management analyst in the uh, Space Transportation Directorate, working for uh, Denny Cross and Chris Singer. And then I became a business management uh, analyst, working for uh, Jan Davis and Steve Cash. So I've had a very lucrative career. So I'm speaking to you from the administrative side of the house. You do not have to be a scientist or an engineer to go to work for NASA. So I'm just privileged to be up here on stage with these ladies. It, I have worked with most of them all of my life. I retired in 2011, and then I came to the Space and Rocket Center and became the volunteer coordinator. And I'm recruiting volunteers and former retirees uh, and civil service and contractors uh, to come work with us and tell your stories here at the, at, the space render, at the Space Center because everybody you meet has a wonderful story and they'll tell you all about their career. And last but not least, I'm Angela Walker, or maybe last and least, I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> I'm Angela Walker. I uh, have been at Marshall Space Flight Center for this year would make my 32nd year. I hail originally from, I am originally from Phoenix City, Alabama, which is a little southeast of Auburn, uh, to give you perspective if you've never heard of Phoenix City. I graduated from Tuskegee Institute, now university. And actually, it became university the year I graduated. So I actually have two diplomas, one that says Tuskegee Institute and one that says Tuskegee University, because my senior year is when it trans, uh, transitioned from an institute to a university. I have a bachelor's degree in electrical engineering. Um, actually, right out of college, I went to work for Polaroid in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, never felt like home, wanted to get back to the South. Uh, fell in love with someone who lived in the South. Really, that probably was the driving factor, <laughs> if I'm honest. Uh, and so I came back, uh, NASA offered me a job. It was an amazing opportunity. I never even applied for NASA. I don't know if it was serendipity, God, purpose, destiny, something. But NASA called me one day and offered me a job, not an interview. Mac Blackman said, hey, this is NASA. We want to know if you want to come work for us. Now, I later found out that someone had given them my application and my credentials. But long story short, I've been there now for 32 years. Uh, I've had some amazing opportunities, was able to be a NASA fellow, and uh, attended Harvard um, uh, Business School, not Harvard School, Kennedy. Most, most NASA 
uh, Nassians go to the government school, which is Kennedy, but I had an opportunity to go to the business school and uh, received an executive certificate from Harvard Business School. Uh, I worked shuttle 19 years uh, of my career um, from return to flight, 51 L, uh, up until I was transitioned off of shuttle to work uh, Ares, our new space lock rocket. Um, I was in Safety and Mission Assurance Organization. Actually, when I started, it was called Safety, Reliability, and Quality Assurance Organization, SR and QA. Uh, it later became Safety and Mission Assurance. I spent 19 years there, moved up as uh, into management in SNMA. Then I went from there to the Chief Engineer's Office. I was Deputy Chief Engineer for the uh, Space Shuttle Propulsion Elements. From there, I was Division Chief. Uh, a manager building the upper stage for Ares in-house, managing as a division chief the systems engineering and integration group. Um, I've been stuck with that title for a while, and now I'm work I was the uh, systems engineer and integration division lead for the space launch system. And so I've been working that for the last eight years until about four months ago, I have been blessed um, to now be a part of the senior executive um, employees at Marshall. Woohoo, that's a big thing. <laughs> and I am the deputy um, department manager for um, the spacecraft and vehicle systems department, primarily focusing on large launch vehicles. Um, the space launch system, CC, that's commercial crew vehicle, and, um, uh, and hopefully landers and gateways soon. Certainly these women who've been part of the work at Marshall Space Flight Center in different ways for years have a lot to say about many things. Here's Benny Jacks on not having a college degree. She'll be joined by Sandy Coleman. Oh, again, um, back in the day, you didn't have to have a, de uh, a degree to go to work for NASA. I was in the, uh, in the typing class and in the shorthand class, and so they came out and gave testing capabilities to us. Uh, I think it was Alverson Drone. And so if you passed those tests, you automatically got considered to go to work for NASA or the Army. You could choose either one of those uh, job opportunities that was being presented to us. And so I didn't even have second thoughts about doing it. When they told me that I was going to be going to work for NASA, I'm like, wow, a little girl from girly Alabama. You know, I'm a girly girl. But, <laughs> hey, it was just an awesome experience to go out there and then to know that Dr. Warner von Braun was the center director and all the Germans had just migrated to Huntsville from Fort Bliss. It was, I mean, you didn't even have a second thought about going to work for NASA. And then at the time, we all worked together as a team. The people brought me into the office, and even though I didn't know anything about NASA at the time or what to do, we all worked together as a team, and they just taught us what we needed to know. I had some, I had some great mentors uh, along the way, or else I would not have succeeded. We had what they called OJT, on-the-job training. And uh, it was just a, a wonderful job. I didn't even entertain going to work for anyone else. My dad took my Girl Scout troop out, and I was now, and this was when Dr. Von Braun was on the Army side. It was before NASA, because NASA wasn't established until 1960. But all through high school, I followed him, and when NASA was established, it was like, man, that's what I want to do. And I was in the accelerated math class, the only girl um, in the accelerated math class. There were like 20 of us, you know, that were that were in that class. I studied really hard because I thought it took math, but nobody ever told me I could be an engineer. I didn't know what an engineer was, frankly. 
You've seen the photos. Marshall Space Flight Center has often had a workforce made up mostly of men. What has it been like working in that environment? Here's Benny Jacks, joined again by Sandy Coleman. Everybody just enjoyed working together and learning together, and we had a job to do. We were mandated in, you know, 1960 by the president to go to the moon, and so that was the goal, and everybody just did their job, and... and yeah, I agree. I mean, it's the same way. We had so much to do. We were so busy. We really didn't think about anything mm-hmm. except just that goal of going to the moon. So we were we were all focused on one goal. There was no dissension. All of NASA was focused on going to the moon. And, and we, you know, even though I was a secretary at the time, I mean, I had huge responsibilities. We didn't have computers for filing. I mean, I was... It was very important for me to make sure that everything was filed. I mean, I worked really hard, and I was I was a part of the team, and we all worked as a team. I don't, you know, it didn't feel like that we were discriminated against nope, in any way. No, was... we were part of that team that was necessary. For both the women and the men who worked during the Apollo days, and for a long time after, it was done without computers. The question is, how? We had typewriters, and you know, then we had to take shorthand. We had to transcribe all of their, uh, all of the meetings, and we we did their travel orders, we did their award ceremonies, uh, just a variety of things, you know, from the women's standpoint. And we also went and got their coffee, you know, which we were not offended to have to go take them coffee or to go buy their lunch because they, they were on a mission to go accomplish this goal, and everybody worked, everybody worked together. A couple of things to remember. Notes were taken by hand and then transcribed and copied. And it had to be perfect. We could not make any mistakes. Even if there were any mistakes, you know, you had to correct every copy that you had to uh, type up. So, See, if you were making like eight copies or five copies and you made a mistake, you know, you would pull all those little, you would correct all of those little mistakes. I mean... You guys have no idea. (laughs) And one other thing I'll add about computers, Marshall Space Flight Center got computers in 1984, our first PCs, uh, desk computers. And I got one, there there were five, I got one of the five because I was in the Solid Rocket Booster Project Office. Even later, there were no desk computers. I put our Solid Rocket Booster uh, budget on that computer that year. I was the only one in shuttle and we used it as a trial to, you know, I had a programmer sitting right with me programming, uh, adding up all of the line items in the budget, in the Thaikal budget. So just another tidbit that was memories. And a lot of that went on through the 80s, you know, like in 85, you know, because when I worked in the patent and documents ex- uh, uh, office or the chief counsel's office, the lawyers would transcribe on a machine and then they would bring it into our office and then we'd have to type up all of their notes. So up until the 80s, you know, we kept doing that. At one point there was a memo written concerning dress for women in Marshall and the ability to wear pants and not a dress. Here's Sandy Coleman followed by Teresa Von Hooser and Mary Beth Coble. Well, I'll talk this one. In uh, the, it was either the late 70, the the last of the end of 69 or 70 when we got this memo saying that we could wear pants and it was the day of pantsuits so before that you know there were jeans and and slacks but all of a sudden the the dress code was pantsuits and so matching 
blazer suits. And there was a big discussion at, at NASA on whether or not the women, that we could wear those, those, those pantsuits to work. And they finally decided. So we got the memo, and then we all started wearing pants. It was really a big day. You guys have no idea. So I started in the 1980, and uh, I was, so I was the only female in my branch, which was probably, I want to say, 15 or 20 people. I don't really remember exactly. Um, and they hadn't hired uh, new employees in a long time because they had a big layoff after the Apollo program. And so during the uh, during 19, in the 1980 is when they first started hiring anybody outside of their co-ops. And a co-op is like an internship with, with NASA, and that was the only people they hired. Uh, and so that year is why I, really why I got to work for NASA. They started hiring a lot more uh, employees to build up for, start, for work in the shuttle. And so for me, I, they treated me almost like a daughter. So there, the generation, there was such a gap in the generation of when uh, the last folks that were hired versus when uh, I came in, and uh, there was a lot of us that came in and during that time frame. And I'll have to say, they, they wanted to take me to every meeting. They wanted to, to take me on site tours, and they wanted, anytime they had some place to go or something different, they were always wanting to take me along and show me, and you, this youngster that doesn't have a clue what's going on, and, and we're going to figure out, you know, we're going we're gonna to train her our way. And so uh, I'll have to say that it was, it, it was great for me. It was great to have the kind of uh, support, and I really never felt like that I wasn't included, and in fact, probably overly included. It was almost like a competition of who could take me to see the most exciting thing uh, on the job. So I started in 86, um, and it was right after Challenger. And so Challenger accident happened in January of 1986. And then starting that summer, um, they were on a, we hired a ton of people. I think when I, uh, I came in, like 10 people were hired the same day I was, which is a lot. I mean, and they were hiring like that every week. Um, at the time, and so there was tons of um, new uh, folks uh, come into NASA at the time I started, and uh, so what was great about that was there was all kinds of people my age, right? So when you started at work, um, not only did you have work to do, but then there was all kinds of people um, to socialize with in the evenings, which was a great thing. And so we started in propulsion, um, a propulsion lab activities group where we would plan um, get-togethers and socials for the uh, for the new employees to try to get people to feel a part of the team. And so we called it PLAG because we have an acronym for everything, <laughs> uh, Propulsion Lab Activities Group. And I was one of the first uh, people to be on that. And we organized lunchtime speakers and evening, uh, we'd all go to a movie or uh, um, volunteer at an event, um, and so that was a great way. And NASA at the time also had like co-ed softball leagues and co-ed volleyball leagues and all kinds of um, extracurricular things to help you uh, not only feel a part of the team at work, uh, but also in the evening. Um, but I'll just add one thing. Um, you know, I tell folks today when I mentor, my first day at work, uh, <laughs> Uh, I kind of accidentally got assigned to Turbo Machinery. Um, I had interviewed uh, 
at the time, NASA didn't uh, fly you in for an interview. So I'd done a phone interview from Iowa, uh, and I had interviewed in a systems analysis group and a turbo machinery group. And uh, NASA offered me both jobs, and I got to choose. And so I felt more secure coming out of school doing systems analysis. Uh, it was 1D kind of fluids modeling. And so I said, I'll take the systems analysis job. And I show up my first day, and you, they swear you in. You know, you put your hand, and you swear you're going to you know, do, what, uh, do what the government does. You sign a whole bunch of paper. Uh, you spend half a day <laughs> signing forms. And back in the day, it was paper forms. And you had to sign your, you know, put your name and birth date and, you know, I mean, page after page. I, I mean, how many hours? Yeah, fingerprints. You had to get fingerprints taken. You have to swear in a Bible that you're going to abide the laws of the United States. They have a swearing in with a flag. And anyway, I, I get all done with that. It was from like, I don't know, 8 to 11 or 12, right? And they said, uh, okay, and the human resources person said, okay, you're reporting to Lauren Gross in Turbo Machinery. And I'm like, oh, no, you got that job wrong. I picked the <laughs> systems analysis job. And the human resources person said, mm, says right here, Turbo Machinery. And I'm like, uh, I know nothing about turbo machinery. You know, what do you, what's happening to me? So they took me to uh, report to Lauren Gross, who was my first boss. And uh, I said, hey, uh, I think there was a mix-up. Uh, I picked the other job offer. <laughs> and he said, oh, I know, but I'm from Iowa, too. And I wanted you to work for me, so I traded for you. <laughs> Um, but, uh, which freaked me out, uh, uh, because I called my mother that night and said, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do turbo machinery. I'm not mechanical. I'm fluids. You know, I got the wrong job. Uh, but, and she told me, suck it up. <laughs> True story. Uh, so anyway, uh, but it was a great thing for me. Uh, that job was a way better fit, uh, for me. Uh, but I just kind of happened into it. So uh, I tell folks, you know, Sometimes you just got to try a job. Uh, but that job was fit my personality and skills way better. Uh, an analyst for, at NASA uh, spends a lot of time on the computer all day, like, you know, all day on the computer. And I know some of you might think that sounds like fun. I think that sounds terrible. <laughs> so uh, luckily, turbo machinery uh, jobs require you to work with a whole bunch of different disciplines and integrate that. And you spend your day talking to a whole bunch of people, which to me sounded great. So uh, it turned out perfect for me, but I kind of happened into my career. You're listening to a panel discussion. The women of Marshall Space Flight Center. We'll get back to it in a moment. We return now to the women of Marshall Space Flight Center. They're responding to a question about team building and how it helped the workforce move forward in bad times. Angela Walker joins the discussion. So when you're 21, however, no, 20, how it was, 86, 22, when, I, when you first come to work, uh, you think, oh, this is just about me having fun. <laughs> but I'm sure uh, upper management was starting those activities groups and that kind of thing as a bonding to help us do our jobs better. Uh, I realize that now as a manager, uh, but I'm pretty sure back then I was only interested in meeting people. <laughs> So uh, it's funny how your perspective changes from, you know, a student right out of school um, and, and, and what you think. 
So yeah, I came to work um, about eight or so months after Mary Beth. I came in September of 87. And again, it was in the crux of getting ready to return the flight, right? So there was the, the excitement in the air. There was a lot of work. We didn't talk a lot about what had happened. We looked forward to what was going to happen. So the talk was more about we're going to fly. We're going to return. We will do this again. We will be stronger. We will be better. We will not have another accident. It will not happen again on our watch. And that's kind of how uh, we, we, we pull, we comb through every piece of paper. We looked at every safety analysis. We did the every what we call um, failure modes and effects. We looked at every piece of hardware and said, what could go wrong? How, how, when would it go wrong? How would it go wrong? And we put uh, what we call retention rationale, right? We put uh, intentionally into our FEMA seals, into our failure modes and effects analysis, um, retention rationale from design to manufacturing to operations, what we were gonna do to prevent what happened on Challenger from ever happening again on our watch. So there were long days, um, long nights, lots of travel, um, lots of bonding. And what also happened at that time, uh, while there were always African-Americans, uh, I say always, I'm assuming always, there were African-Americans at Marshall. But in that 86, 87 time frame, affirmative action was big. Um, uh, Politically, that's what was going on with the political climate. And so like when I graduated from school, I had three job offers and none was NASA. I didn't even talk to NASA because I had so many other opportunities as an African-American engineer who had a high GPA, right? And so I had opportunities that I didn't even look at NASA, but NASA brought me back to the South and really NASA was where I was destined to be always. So a year after graduating, I was back at NASA, but not only did I come in, there were several other, several other African-Americans who hired on around that same periodicity, around that same time. And so not only were we a part of the intramural teams that Mary Beth, I played softball, I remember I was on the softball team. Um, so not only did, were there tennis teams and softball teams and other intramural teams that made us group, there were also some cultural teams so I would get together with other African-Americans and we would talk about what it's like to be at NASA at Marshall Space um, Flight Center. And so um, I remember going back to the computer discussion, even in 87, I guess computers you say came on in 84, even in 87, uh, people were still leery <laughs> about using their computers, right? Even in 87, uh, they weren't using them a whole lot. People were still transitioning from slide rules. I think that's what I remember most about when I came on. It was a season of transitioning, transitioning back to flying, transitioning for picking up a more diverse workforce, um, a younger workforce. So it was just a time of change, but it was good. It was all good. You're listening to the Women of Marshall Space Flight Center, a panel discussion recorded at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. It will continue in a moment.
More now from a panel discussion, the women of Marshall Space Flight Center. The question, how these women handle things like NASA's major accidents and even the cancellation of programs. We'll hear first from Teresa Von Hooser, followed by Sandy Coleman. So it just so happened that I was the acting manager of the ARIES program when it got canceled. ARIES was the precursor. It was post-shuttle, but pre SLS. So the, the space launch system is kind of an iteration past the Ares. Ares had, was going to have two rockets. It was going to have one, we, we called Ares 1, that was going to the space station and to do the resupplies. Then we had the Ares 5, which was the bigger rocket, which is what the SLS is now, that was going to take us um, to, beyond low Earth orbit. And so um, it was not politically um, supported during that time, and so uh, there was a lot of, when, when it got initiated, there was a lot of selling going on to Congress and a lot of selling to the, um, to the people on Capitol Hill to get the ARIES program uh, off. And so we did, and we were well on our way, and we had flown uh, a demonstration mission, the, the ARIES 1X is what we called it, and it was successful, it was doing, everybody was doing great, working hard, and nobody had, I won't say, I'll say nobody in the working troops, which included me, had any idea that the cancellation was coming. And the, when the budget got rolled out, it had uh, Aries canceled. So it was devastating news. Um, to the team, it was devastating news to Huntsville because it was a lot of jobs. And so we m immediately went into a recovery mode. There was tons of people who were not going to have jobs uh, because of the cancellation. We had thousands of people that were working on the ARIES program. And so uh, part of my job at that time was then how do we transition out of those contracts? How do we? Uh, get people the training they need to do other jobs. How do we move forward beyond this? And how do we get anybody to trust us again that they're going to want to go do another launch vehicle mission? So the big thing coming into the space launch system was are people going to buy in? Are they really going to want to work it? Are we going to be able to move forward uh, and do another launch vehicle? And NASA employees and their contractors are very resilient folks, and they never give up. And they believe in the mission. They believe in um, going to, to low Earth orbit and beyond. And so I think it, uh, we, we didn't give them all the credit we should have, we, but they, did, they stood with us. And, and a lot of folks were brought back on. I mean, there was a gap between the end of the ARIES program and the start of the SLS. But, but we got there, and a lot of those folks are working the program today, and we needed their expertise to be able to go forward. I can add a little to that as well. I was working in, uh, I had already left NASA, and I was working uh, in, in Washington at the time. And, you know, I think if it had not been for Senator Shelby and a lot of the Alabama delegation, we would not have the Space Launch System program. He was just amazing in helping us to transition those contracts because 
they put a, uh, I guess, passed legislation that you couldn't cancel the contracts. And so now those contracts were just flowed into the SLS. So he basically, I think, saved the program. One other thing, if you, uh, you mentioned the, the closeout of the Saturn program, so I was um, a part of the, after we landed on the moon, I was on the original space shuttle test team. So that was at the end of 69. And those of us that were transferred over to shuttle were thinking, what's the big deal? You know, after in like 72, 73, when they, they said, well, we're going to cancel the Saturn program and it's going to be space shuttle. And those of us at the time said, well, what's the big deal? We're going to have a shuttle program, you know? And if you, if you, you know, if you go forward now many, many years and you look at the SLS, I mean, Dr. Von Braun had it right. He had put, with some of his drawings, he had put solid rocket boosters on Saturn with the, with the hope that we could take that vehicle to Mars. And I mean, he was just ahead of his time. It's just amazing to look back at his, uh, at his work. But, you know, we, we're getting there. We've, we've had, of course, uh, you know, this International Space Station, the space shuttle missions. I mean, we've had significant success with that. But if you look at the transition of where we were and, you know, where we maybe could have been and uh, maybe already on Mars um, if we had continued with, with the Saturn program. And another question. How did these women support each other during the down periods when things weren't operating at a peak? This is Sandy Coleman and Mary Beth Coble. After the Challenger accident, I was in the Solid Rocket Booster Project Office at the time, uh, actually doing, I was the integration subsystem manager working for Larry Malloy uh, in the Solid Rocket Booster office. And of course, it was almost like the mission to the to the moon, we were so busy. You know, within NASA, it was just, we've got to get the, the solid rocket booster redesigned, we have to get back to flying. And then after the Columbia accident, it was this, I was the, ended up being the external tape project manager. I was the deputy propulsion manager at the time of the accident, and then became the external tape project manager. And it was almost again, just like Saturn, you know, almost like the moon mission, you're, you're so intent on getting back to flight that that's the only thing that within NASA that you're thinking about. I, mean, I know there were a lot of other things happening with, you know, I know during the two shutdowns there were a lot of people, probably contractors were laid off because you were, um, could not continue the work. But at NASA, you know, I think it was like going to the moon. It was like getting the shuttle back up after Challenger. We were so busy, we didn't have time to think about much else. And I think sometimes in those uh, downtimes, we focus on, well, what technologies do we need for that next mission? How can we get started and be more prepared for when the next program starts? So like in engineering, we double down and say, well, what was hard with the last program? What are we missing? Oh, we need this new technology, or we need a valve that leaks less, or we need um, combustion device that lasts long, uh, has a longer life. And, and we... Uh, kind of look inward sometimes too and work on those technologies we're going to need for future missions. And so we get a little more uh, innovative maybe and do a little more uh, research and development uh, during those downtimes until the programs, when your program's busy and you're trying to fly, 
you don't have much time to do technology. You're just trying to get hardware out the door into the uh, launch pad. But in those times between programs, I think NASA has done a great job on focusing on technologies for the future um, and, and really trying to use the workforce that's there in the best way possible. You've been listening to a portion of a panel discussion recorded at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center, the Women of Marshall Space Flight Center. We invite you to listen to our other podcast on North Alabama's space history, including the reminiscences of several children of German rocket team members. Look for those podcasts and more as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon mission. Go to the Apollo 11 tab at the top of our website, whnt.com, where you'll also find other interesting items on North Alabama's contribution to America's manned spaceflight history. Apollo 11 Legacies is produced in partnership with Intuitive Research and Technology. Content made possible with the U.S. Space and Rocket Center's Legacy Panel Lecture Series. Music provided by Megatracks. 